Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves and do it toll-free at 855-450-FREE on this live Christmas Eve edition of the program with you tonight. It is Ian. And Julia. And uh, Julia coming in on Christmas Eve. We do this, seems like, almost every year. What? So, uh, the Christmas Eve or Christmas Day yes. show uh, together. And I think Johnny Ray will be joining us uh, tomorrow night. So we'll continue to be live throughout the holidays, as is tradition here on Free Talk Live. I guess the tradition of most radio shows is to take time off. But we're here, and we will take your calls about whatever might happen to be on your mind. Because, you know, important things still continue to happen around the world, and people continue to listen to the radio even if it's their day off. And maybe especially if it's, uh, if it's your day off, you might be more likely to want some sort of live audio entertainment. So we are here for you. 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Looks like uh, Newsweek is calling it quits on the whole print magazine concept. The news came out that their final issue is imminent. And wow. apparent, Yeah, that's a, it's a big deal. It's a you know company that's been putting out news and magazine format on a weekly basis for quite a long time. Well, they're so big. I find this shocking because I I feel like that's one of the few that remains that actually still sells magazines, right? Like Time, for example, would be another one. I I guess Time's still out there, right? I'm pretty sure it is, yes. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, if they continue to have success online. It's fascinating to watch as businesses that are kind of from the old media are attempting to transfer their business model into the new media realm, and it doesn't always translate and we've certainly seen plenty of newspapers go out of business completely. Newsweek is going to continue doing an online version of their magazine, uh, but it's done with the whole print thing. And I just find it absolutely fascinating to watch that. There's not really much more to say about that particular news, but uh, you're certainly welcome to comment on the state of the media in general. Some older people are going to be upset about this. Sure, sure. But that's the you know thing people's... Uh, Magazine subscriptions are going away as older people die off. I think that's yeah. probably a big factor in why it's taking so long. Uh, it seems like, you know, I wonder what the numbers were. I, I wonder, you know, at the very end how their print subscriptions had dwindled. You know, what, what what did they used to be a decade ago and what are they today? I know that print subscriptions to newspapers have just continued to drop off the cliff year after year after year. Yeah. So there's that news. Also, other news as well, uh, Some distur- a disturbing story out of uh, a box, an unexpected place to find a note. This story is from OregonLive.com. The letter came in a box of Halloween decorations purchased at Kmart, but for a year, Julie Keith never knew. It gathered dust in her storage, a haunting plea for help, hidden among artificial skeletons, tombstones, and spiderwebs. Keith, who's a 42-year-old vehicle donation manager at the Southeast Portland Goodwill, at one point considered donating the unopened 2999 Kmart graveyard kit. It was one of those accumulated items you never need and easily forget. But on a Sunday afternoon in October, Keith pulled the orange and black box from storage she intended to decorate her home in Damascus for her daughter's fifth birthday, just days before Halloween. She ripped open the box and threw aside the cellophane, and that's when Keith found it. Scribbled onto paper and folded into eights, the letter was tucked between two styrofoam headstones. Quote, If you occasionally buy this product, please kindly resend this letter to the World Human Rights Organization. Thousands people here who are under the persecution 
of the Chinese Communist Party government, and this, by the way, written in English, will thank and remember you forever. The graveyard kit, the letter read, was made in Unit 8, Department 2 of the Mazanjia Labor Camp in Shenyang, China. Chinese characters broke up choppy English sentences. People who work here have to work 15 hours a day without Saturday, Sunday break, and any holidays. Otherwise, they will suffer torturement, beat, and rude remark. Nearly no payment. 10 uh, yan per month. 10 yan is equivalent to $1.61 wow. in U.S. People who work here suffer punishment one to three years averagely, but without court sentence, unlaw punishment. Many of them are Falun Gong practitioners who are totally innocent people only because they have different belief to CCPG. And I think that stands for uh, something about the communist, yeah, Chinese Communist Party government. Hmm. They often suffer more punishment than others. The letter was not signed. How would you feel if you uh, found that note uh, in and amongst something that you went down to the local discount store to (laughs) purchase? I would be a little disturbed. It's pretty frightening. I mean, it's it's a shocking uh, encounter, something that reminds you that really should take you down a, a peg, right? Like that you just bought this cheap thing. That you were going to put up for uh, Halloween decorations, and then you find a just horrifying note yeah. uh, placed within the packaging, completely unexpected, and it would really—I think—it would make some people do a, a real double take on you know what the things they take for granted uh, in life, right? And so there's you know some questions here, right? Like, is this legitimate? Is yeah. this real? Uh, what are the situations that these people are working in and what do, if anything, what do the companies that are doing the contracting in this case know about it? I mean, Kmart is, you know, their right. brand reputation is on the line here. Do they know that they're contracting with prison labor? And uh, if they do know that they're contracting with prison labor, what does that mean? Uh, you know, are people just going to you know, write this off? Uh, or is it all of a sudden a, a, a bigger problem because it's happening somewhere else? Because it happens here. I'd just like to point that out. Uh, prison labor in the United States is used to make products here. Really? Yeah. License plates and things, uh, yeah, right? Yeah, that and other things as well. There there are prisons that, you know, are, that, are, that contract out their prisoners for various different private companies doing various different things. Even mm. I've heard even, you know, phone answering customer service really? kind of jobs. Well, so let me continue with the story here. She was shocked, and Keith sat down as her mind reeled. Wow, that's daring, she thought. She imagined the desperation the writer must have felt, the courage he or she must have mustered to slip the letter into that box. If caught, what would happen? Like a message in a bottle, the letter traveled more than 5,000 miles over the Pacific Ocean. It could not be ignored. Unsure of where to start, Keith turned to Facebook. She posted a photo of the letter and the, ter- the words, I found this in a box of Halloween decorations. She wanted to spread the message. The Facebook post sparked a slew of responses. Her friends had heard of labor camp horrors, but a letter from one of those camps? Never. I'm sure that person feared for his or her life to include that letter in the products, but it was a chance they were obviously willing to take, one friend wrote. We take our freedom for granted. What's weird to me is someone is actually thinking about and praying something comes of this every day of their life since they sent it out. Makes me sad this even happens. Some friends offered help. Others asked for updates. The anonymous letter evoked skepticism, too. Written largely in English scrawl, it was almost too bold of an act to seem plausible. Still, U.S. authorities on China took note. 
Sophie Richardson, the China director at Human Rights Watch, says we are in no position to confirm the veracity or origin of this. I think it's fair to say the conditions described in the letter certainly conform to what we know about conditions in re-education through labor camps. China's re-education through labor is a system of punishment that allows for detention without trial. Various reports allege followers of the banned spiritual group Falun Gong are sent to the reform camps, claims supported in the letter, but the facts are difficult to confirm. Mazanjia Labor Camp is located in the industrialized capital of the Liaoning province in northeast China. A Google search of the camp yields pages of grim results. If this thing is the real deal, that's somebody saying, please help me, please know about me, please react, that's our job. Now, certainly, if people are being put in prison in China for their belief system, and that's entirely plausible, yeah, that's what's being alleged here. The Falun Gong, as I understand it, is a group of Christians uh, in China that has been persecuted for a you know, fair amount of time right. uh, for breaking from the official party line of, on things. And so if indeed you know, this is happening over in China, it's certainly disturbing that people would be put into prison for a differing belief system. But is it really that much worse than people being put in prison for wanting to possess a plant? Or a chemical, as many, many people are in prison for here in this country, many of whom may also be forced into labor. 855-450-FREE. There's more about the story. We'll share with uh, that with you coming up. And, of course, your thoughts are welcome on whatever's on your mind. 1-855-450-FREE. Live Christmas Eve edition of Free Talk Live. The three most important things you can do for Free Talk Live are, one, share one episode a week on Facebook or in some other social networking site. Two, Buy the things you buy online through shop.freetalklive.com. Three, give five bucks a month to the AMP program. It's my firm belief that Free Talk Live's AMP program is the best use of your charitable dollar among liberty-oriented organizations. Support all the organizations you love. But make sure you give five bucks a month to AMP at amp.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live, toll-free number tonight for you, 855-450-FREE, live Christmas Eve edition with Ian here. And Julia. Julia is here courtesy of her radio show, which is Puke and the Gang. You guys just did your very first live, or not, I guess not first, they but you did another. They have done another. it in the past. You we did another live episode. opened that, I guess. Is this the first time you've done a live yes. episode with Puke and the Gang? Yes. So uh, that happened last night, and I believe the archive will be available, if not already, over at pukeandthegang.com. Yeah, it'll probably be up shortly. All right, great. Uh, so go and check that out. And, of course, we'll, ca- we'll take your calls uh, tonight, as we always will. Come back here in a moment to the story about the labor camp worker, or the alleged labor camp worker, who snuck a note in, apparently, snuck a note into the product that he is being forced to, or she, is being forced to manufacture over in China, ostensibly because they have a belief system that is different from the Chinese party government and are being punished for that. We can continue that story because there's more to it, but first, let's go to the pizza guy. And by the way, I want to remind you that SACL CAI has a full-orbed approach to account recovery. It's really three companies in one. They do collections, early out billing, and they purchase charged-off receivables. SACL knows the way they treat your customer reflects on you. Their staff is respectful. They record every call and have the best equipment money can buy, so your business is handled as efficiently as possible. See their banner over at freetalklive.com. It's at the top of the banner column. Again, SACL CAI. Pizza Dude, or Pizza Guy, rather, in Fargo. You're on Free Talk Live. 
Your timing couldn't be worse. I'm right back at the store. Anyway, um, I just wanted to be super quick then. Um, I've been wanting to mention this for, like, ever. Um, it's important to understand that we don't know anything. Knowledge, knowledge is kind of a deep concept. It, it comes to an issue with certainty. And um, one of the first things in the path to enlightenment you can realize is that, you know, nobody really knows anything, and then, you know, except for what you've experienced. And then... Um, what you will also learn is that you don't even know the things you experienced because those kinds of things can be implanted in your mind as well, false memories, things like that. And so the real big thing to impress upon yourself is that it's all an issue of likelihood. And that's what it really comes down to. So when, you, when you're considering possible realities about, you know, what's true and what's false, you really, you're asking what's likely or not. And that's what science, I mean, that's what science does is it, is it addresses likelihood. Science isn't about truth with capital T. Scientists aren't, aren't trying to figure out why or what. They're just trying to um, assign models of probability and likelihood. So when you have people with, like, their conspiracy theories, they say, well, I know this and I know that, and look, you know, this thing is true. Yeah, well, you know, maybe, but it's unlikely. Right, and mm. that ties into some other stuff, but I I really got to go, so I'll, I'll take it off. Air. Very deep pizza uh, pizza guy. Appreciate <laughs> the call tonight. Uh, knowledge, Julia. What do you think about all that? Um, well, I guess all I would say is that I kind of the older I get, the more and more I realize that there is really no way to know what is true or not. I mean, you could, especially now with the internet. You could perform a Google search mm-hmm. and find information to support your argument no matter which side you have. And you could it's find true. statistics and things that were stated as fact. And there's just really no way to know. I mean, you just have to take it on faith. <laughs> well, you know, you certainly are somebody who uh, I think knows more about, like, food and uh, you have done a lot of research into that. Sure. Is it just is it just you know faith if you've taken time to do some due diligence? Is it is it something more than faith, or is it always just come down to faith? The faith that you're you know believing the experts, uh, the well, people that you've it. deemed I'm to be just experts. Believing people that I deem to be experts. Have I personally looked into each and every one of their credentials and mm-hmm. checked them out? No, you know. So I believe it, and maybe it's a little more than faith because. I feel that I've done the research or at least some research on it, but there is someone out there who would tell me I'm wrong and show me research that suggests otherwise. What about the, that, you know, our belief system that it's wrong to, uh, to hurt other people. Is that something that we can know or is that also something that is based in? Well, faith? that's more of a moral philosophy. Mm-hmm. I think that, Moral morals are definitely subjective to some extent. I think that most people tend to agree with that particular concept because most people don't want to get hurt. So because most people agree that they don't want to get hurt, they're not comfortable hurting other people. Wouldn't that be something that uh, obviously we're talking without our caller here to uh, to respond. <laughs> so I don't know what it would be that the pizza guy would say to all this, but don't we know that we don't want to get hurt? Like, isn't that something? I'm sure. not, I don't just believe well, that, right? Like, I haven't just signed up to think that that's a good idea. Yeah. That's something I know because I know, well, 
you know, all of us are hurt at some time in some way, right? Growing up, typically, you know, even though all the corners have been rounded off these days, kids are going to get hurt, right? Sure. They're going to feel physical pain. And at some point, someone's going to hurt them in an emotional way or they're going to feel emotionally hurt in some kind of a situation. So, you know, people know from experience, I think, that they don't like that pain and it seems like the natural thing to do to reciprocate that to others because you know if you don't want right. to feel those things well, you shouldn't help you shouldn't make other people feel those things right i don't think that you don't know anything i don't believe that i think that yeah. you can know things that you can see right in front of you or know things that you personally felt about yourself but i think that he has a point when talking about like research like like we were just just discussing you know what i mean he has a point but yeah. I don't know if I agree that you can't know anything. I think that maybe what you can't know is everything that's on the outside of you to some extent. Like I'm just kind of li- looking at sure. what we've been discussing here, right? So like what you're talking about research, there's all kinds of contradictory research, research that has you know uh, contradicted research from the past that everybody used to believe and now people believe something different or you know different groups believe different stories about certain things and that's all based on their research or their acceptance of someone else's alleged research right. that supposedly was performed to do the scientific method that you hope that someone has vetted who you can trust i mean ultimately i think this is something mark has touched on previously that you really can't know a lot of that stuff you can't know any of it ultimately you you have to trust people you have to right. take their word for things because but, you wouldn't be able to put the time in i wouldn't be able right. to put the time in to personally investigate each and, and every uh scientific study sure and odds are good that even in that uh in that circumstance even if you were doing scientific studies you'd have to rely on others at some point within that study you'd have to trust you know your partners in the experiment to you know, not be confederates or to you know feed bad information or skew statistics in a certain way. So ultimately, even within that structure, yeah. there's some level of of trust I that goes on. I don't know that it really matters. You know, like what matters that you don't know? That you don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that human beings naturally crave knowledge. They like to learn things, and life is all about figuring stuff out and changing your opinion on things and sort of forming who you are. But I'm not sure that that it matters that you're wrong if you're wrong. I think it's inevitable that you will be wrong. Right. Obviously, everybody is wrong at some point in time. But I don't I'm not sure that it matters that we don't really know everything in the sense that he's talking about. But what I was saying before was that, you know, maybe you can know for sure something inside of you. You know, sure. In that, as I was suggesting before, you know you Feelings. don't want to get hurt. Right. You know what feels bad, and hopefully you know that it's a bad thing to make others feel in that way, or to make others feel pain, because you yourself wouldn't want that. Of course, psychopaths and sociopaths probably have the reverse uh, belief system. And Well, anyway, that's another issue entirely. 855-450-FREE. Whether you want to talk about knowledge or where its origins are versus the Chinese uh, manufacturing story we're talking about, it's all on the table. Technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com.
This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever you want, and you can do it toll-free, live Christmas Eve edition of the program. Toll-free number is same as always, 855-450-FREE. That's one 855 450 3733. You can join us on our website over at freetalklive.com and enjoy the features we have waiting for you there. The webcam is one of them. You can go there and watch and listen to the show, but also chat because the chat room is built into the same page. So you're welcome to avail yourself of that feature and many others that you'll find all completely free over at freetalklive.com. So enjoy. Once again, that's freetalklive.com. And you've been hearing about bitcoins for a while now here on Free Talk Live. The number of people using them around the world is exploding if you have a business and would like to accept bitcoins but aren't sure how well you're in luck bitpay has made it easy for you thanks to bitpay there is now an easy way for any store restaurant or web page to accept bitcoins and have them instantly converted into cash and deposited right into your bank account that's what i think people have been looking for because bitcoins are great there's no doubt about it i'm a fan i've got some uh, Julia, you also, yep. I believe, have some. And uh, they're great. They're, they make it easy to transfer uh, money online from one point to another with zero transaction fee as far as the transfer is concerned. Now, when you're transferring bitcoins into cash, inevitably there is going to be some sort of a fee involved because it's a currency transaction, a currency conversion. Those things are always based. You know, somebody's got to make some money to do a well, currency and there conversion. Is a, there is a service being provided. Right. You're, you're, you're converting a currency from one to another, and that's the service. And that's, that's what people should, you know, who do that should get paid for. I have to say, I have been to BitPay.com independent of, uh, you know, having this on board as an advertiser on the show. And I was impressed with the rate at which they can do the these transactions really like if you were to just take your bitcoins in your your personal bitcoin account right now julia in your wallet mm-hmm. and you know try to convert those somehow into cash you're probably going to pay several percent right but if you do it through bitpay.com they can get that down pretty significantly and so i thought it was pretty great and of course they make it easy and your business owner the average business owner might want to accept bitcoins but it's still uncertain as to what to do about them, what to do with them. Um, you know, they're cool for me. Like, I like to sit on them and hoard them. Uh, but, you know, the business owner is going to want to pay the rent and pay his employees. So it makes sense to have an instantaneous method of converting that to cash. So BitPay can do it either way, right? BitPay will let you keep your Bitcoins or convert them into cash, and I think it's pretty cool. Fees are much lower than uh, taking credit cards, and there's no risk of chargeback or fraud. So go and see for yourself and go to BitPay.com to get started. Uh, 855-450-FREE is our telephone number. We can talk about you know more metaphysical things like... Uh, knowledge and whether or not you can even have knowledge of things outside of yourself i think that's an interesting discussion to be had also we started the show out with a disturbing story about a lady who purchased a 30 dollar gravestone kit from kmart for halloween stuck it in her garage for a year and decided finally to open the thing up when she discovered a note allegedly from someone who was at the manufacturing plant, which is supposedly a prison camp in China. Now, the story is from OregonLive.com, and they go into the area of the the discussion that I was also interested in hearing about. You know, what does Kmart have to say about this, which is where she purchased this gravestone kit? Well, if truly created in a forced labor camp, 
According to OregonLive.com, the Halloween graveyard kit from Kmart's Totally Ghoul product line could bring a blow to the U.S. chain of discount stores. Title 19, Section 1307 of U.S. Code generally prohibits the importation of all items mined, produced, or manufactured in any foreign country by convict labor, forced labor, and or indentured labor, which I think is awfully interesting considering the same exact thing goes on here. Well, one thing, you mentioned that they get paid, and it's not much at all, but they get paid, but you don't get paid in the United States, do you? uh, You will get paid. Really? Um, So at jail you don't, but in prison... That tends to be how it is. Obviously, okay. each uh, each state, each prison, each jail may have slightly different rules. Like e- even here in uh, in New Hampshire, the jails are run by different people. They're run in different manners. They have different contracts. They're not uniform. Uh, there's no consistency between them. That's why Valley Street Jail in Manchester is generally considered to be a horrible place to uh, to be. But here in Cheshire County, we've actually got a jail that's run by a man who seems to have compassion for the people that he's imprisoning. So just just the head of a jail can make a big difference in how that, that operations run. But generally, I think that's true. Like for me, when I was in jail, I was working in the kitchen because if I didn't work in the kitchen, I would go to segregation. Right. Um, and also, I did it because it was something to do. Like I enjoyed going right. to well, work. Well, kitchen work seems pretty minor. I... What comes to mind initially is the guys that have to pick up trash on the side of the road, that kind of work. Those guys are doing work. There were guys in my unit doing that kind of work, too. Uh, My my most disturbing day that I heard about that they had to uh, engage in was where they went and were told to mow the side of a mountain. They went to Home Depot or Walmart or something like that, purchased uh, brand new lawnmowers, then went on to a si- the side of a mountain, you know, complete with whatever, you know, this is the granite state, so there's rocks all over the yeah. place, uh, and were told to mow the side of the mountain. I don't even understand why something like that would be necessary, but that's what like, they were told like to do. It seems like giving someone the opportunity to work might be helpful for a lot of prisoners. You're sitting in there, wasting away, not producing anything, right. and if you're able to make some money for yourself, then at least you have something when you get out, because a lot of these guys have absolutely nothing. It all gets taken away from them. Mm-hmm. So it seems like the opportunity is nice, and a lot of people would do it for multiple reasons, not only the money, but also because you're just sitting in a room all day. You right. might as well get out. What else out. are you going to do? Right. That's but why the guys the, do it. They want to get outside. Yeah. But the forcing... You're going to do it or you get to sit in a room by yourself all day. And that would be the wrong to me. Right. And that would be the punishment in Cheshire County. Right. Now, this is, again, I'm sure that's common. This is not China, however, where, according to this guy, if you don't go along with what they tell you to do, you get beaten, tortured, he says in his letter or she not sure who wrote it. Sure. Signed. Uh, So beatings and torture uh, await those who don't do what they're told over there, over here. I mean, one could allege that sitting in a room in segregation is torture. I think Uh, a lot of people could allege that. It certainly, I think, legitimately could be considered that. Uh, So let me continue. Depending on how long you're in there. Here's the, the remainder of the story. After the Oregon... Oregonian informed the U.S. ICE Immigrations and Customs Enforcement about the letter. Their Homeland Security investigations began looking into the case. According to their public affairs officer, Andrew Munoz, Sears Holdings Corporation, which operates Kmart, released a statement on the matter saying that Sears Holdings has a global compliance program, which helps to ensure that vendors and factories producing merchandise for our company adhere to specific program requirements and all local laws pertaining to employment standards and workplace practices. 
Failure to comply with any of the program requirements, including the use of forced labor, may result in a loss of business or factory termination. We understand the seriousness of this allegation and will continue to investigate. The chief section, uh, section chief, rather, Daniel Ruiz of the National Intellectual Property Rights Coordination Center's Com- Commercial Fraud Unit said it would be that's a mouthful. Said it would be difficult to predict the length of an investigation like this, which would involve American and Chinese authorities. Investigative findings would be released, he said, only if the agency takes action. What can you do ab- about a situation like this? I mean, if something awful like this was going on in America, which it kind of is on a much less scale i guess if this is true because like you said no one's being tortured or at least not beaten physically tortured that you know of that i know of yep but if it let's say something like this was going on in the united states what what is another country going to do about it you know what i mean what can really be done about this i can't help but feel like an investigation isn't going to go anywhere well right the the u.s government certainly can't do anything about it uh sears could pull their contract yes uh that could be something there but beyond economic uh you know some sort of economic punishment by the marketplace there's really not much you can do i mean because their global compliance program here says that they're to adhere to all local laws they do say that they don't want to work with people engaging in forced labor, and Seegers is just going to claim they didn't know. Right. So, and maybe they didn't. And maybe they didn't, but what good is your global compliance program if it's not revealing information like this about your uh, vendors? 855-450-FREE, the SACL CAI toll-free line, and Julia's question's a good one. What can be done about this? It's Free Talk Live. Are you a fan of beer, liberty, and good conversation? Do you support freedom, peace, and voluntary interaction? Are you looking to meet others who think like you? Don't wait for your move to the Free State Project to get started when you can do something about it today. This is Amanda Mill, encouraging you to set up a Liberty on the Rocks network near you to begin connecting and informing libertarian thinkers over drinks. Visit www.libertyontherocks.org. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything you would like. 855-450-FREE. Live Christmas Eve edition of the program. You can, of course, bring up what you want. Uh, Toll-free number brought to you by SACL CAI is 855-450-3733. And you can join us online over at freetalklive.com. Maybe you appreciate what we do on this radio program and you would like to help support the show. You are certainly welcome to do that by becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier. AMP stands for Advertise, Market, and Promote, and the idea is you send us five bucks a month, and we'll take that, invest it into the show, get on more radio stations across the country, bring more internet listeners uh, on board, and expose new people to the ideas of freedom. So head over, become an amplifier, and you'll get perks like access to the AMP-only call-in lines, AMP-only podcast, forum, and more. Go get the details and get signed up at amp.freetalklive.com. Throughout most of the hour uh, thus far tonight, we have been talking about a disturbing story that certainly this lady was not expecting to have happen to her. She opened up a, you know, chintzy box from Kmart where she'd purchased some cheap graveyard, gravestone decoration kit for Halloween. And in that box, she allegedly found a note from one of the Chinese workers who manufactured it, allegedly under forced labor camp conditions. You know... This what kind of bothers me about this woman or this story is that obviously getting a letter kind of puts it in your face and reminds you mm-hmm. that this sort of thing goes on. But 
most people in America are comfortable buying products that are made in sweatshops and things like that. Even the people who are vocal about it still buy the stuff. Well, she says that she now checks the label of everything she buys down to the gingerbread house she purchased for the holidays. Her friends, she said, do the same. She says, if I really don't need it, I won't buy it if it's made in China. She said, this has really made me more aware. I hope it would make a difference. Now, did you catch what she said? If I really don't need it, I won't buy it if it's made in China. She didn't say I won't buy anything made in China. Well, and I wanted to expand just a little bit more because I'm not against sweatshops. um, But a lot of people are, and they feel that this concept is wrong, that these people should be paid more, yet they have no problem. They don't actually put their money where their mouth is. They just complain about it and continue their purchasing habits. So that's really the point I wanted to bring up was not anti-sweatshops, but I imagine this woman would be bothered by sweatshops just like she's bothered by this concept yet. Well, now the the sweatshop is a different concept than a prison labor camp, right? So that's why you're not against sweatshops because it's not forced labor. It's not forced labor. And I think uh, Penn and Teller had a really good episode on this particular topic And I know there's a lot of resources on the Internet as well. But basically, these people live in really impoverished countries and they would not be doing anything else. These sweatshops pay them more than other awful jobs that they would be doing, such as logging and things like that. Sweating outdoors, sweating on a farm somewhere. Right. So these particular countries that have these sweatshops, they have not gone through an industrial revolution like we have. So it's not the same. But my so my point wasn't against sweatshops or comparing this to sweatshops, but I was just pointing out that that's something that because people don't understand, it bothers them, it makes them uncomfortable, yet they still have no problem making the purchase. It doesn't bother them enough to change their habits. All right. So what I wanted to point out about her saying that, oh, well, now she's she tries not to buy things from China. What good does that do? There are plenty of manufacturing companies in China that aren't using forced right. labor. And so now you're just making it so those people don't get a paycheck. I mean, if, if people behaved in the way that she is suggesting, and that is that, oh, well, let's not buy things from China. Number one, uh, if people actually started to do what she's saying, and they're not going to, but if, yes. if they did in large numbers, then that would just put those companies out of business and send those people back into the fields. So they would be out their better paying job, which arguably is something that most people in America wouldn't take. But we're we're not going through an industrial revolution uh, in this country. At one time, labor conditions were much worse right. here, and things get better over time as the market is allowed to, you know, com- you know companies are allowed to compete for labor and, and things like that. But the other thing is, so she's going to stop buying products made in China, well, at least as long as it's something she doesn't really need, right. she says. So if she's not going to buy something made in China, would she be all right with it made in Pakistan, maybe Thailand, uh, right. perhaps South Korea? Uh, you know, v- various different uh, other locations. Vietnam, I just purchased, uh, we went shopping the other day and I you know, noticed one of the shirts was made in, made in Vietnam. Uh, is she also going to be concerned with uh, labor conditions in all right. those other countries? I can't imagine that there are many, if any, Americans out there that are willing to look into every purchase that they make, right. the origins of the product and how the people are treated. Now we're actually back to the the knowledge conversation that we were having earlier. How can you know? Who can take the time? And you're out at the, 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 the grocery Amish store. The Amish people might follow those rules. That's it. Well, right. They're probably they only buying anything. from their own they community. They make everything. Yeah. Exactly. 
but you know, the average person can't go and in you know investigate the various different products that they see on the shelves. They can only go so far with it. Uh, you, you know, you you can try to dig into it all, but who's going to take the time to learn whether or not that plastic goblet that you're buying from the cheap plastic shelf, you know, from Walmart was made in a, a factory that has conditions that are up to par? Now, you can trust that these companies are doing the right thing, and as they're saying here, Sears is saying, hey, you know, we've got this global compliance program which helps ensure vendors and factories are adhering to certain requirements, and one of those requirements is not to use forced labor. But somehow, some way, allegedly, the company they're using is manufacturing products on a forced labor camp where people who are you know, of a different belief system are being put. These are not hardened criminals. And uh, I think that's another concern. Uh, people can't find this information out. So, again, it's just something that you have to trust. And even if it were made here in America, you still wouldn't know if it wasn't being, you know, if it wasn't made at a forced labor camp because things are done that way here. It's hard to believe, but that's well, how it is. you also have to trust that things are labeled properly. Yeah. Because I know that in the instance of food, and this is kind of a bad example, but the way that government food labels work, um, you know, something can say that it's natural and not have to include its ingredients. And that can mean a lot of different things. Sure. So it's kind of a, a bad stretch, but, but you really have to trust the label and what it says. 855-450-FREE. That is the SACL CAI toll free line. And that's really what it comes down to. Unless you want to go Amish and you want to ensure that everything that you purchased was grown and, and manufactured locally, which is a near well, impossibility. I think, that, I think that that type of that is um, it's getting more popular, like sure. growing your own food and stuff like that. And um, the, the community farms. Yeah, and some people like around here buy that, stuff from farms. Yeah. And I think that that is is definitely getting more popular and people consumers are more concerned with what they eat and buy mm-hmm. and where it comes from. But I can't see this really being possible at this point beyond food, you know, unless sure. you're talking about making your own clothes. And That's even then, you have to make your own fabric, right? Because if I, I don't know where the fabric comes from if I go yeah. to Joanne's and buy fabric. It's, it's not coming from down the street. Right. I can tell you that. It's coming from a huge fabric manufacturing you know, supply, probably in China yeah. or some other place like that. So I don't see that being possible now, right. in, in any time in the, in the near future. What are you going to do? Get your own loom and start yeah. uh, doing your own weaving of every single thing that you, uh, sure, you put together? Sure, I guess. It's not possible because we have had this division of labor where not everyone has to be good at farming and weaving and, you know, sewing and all that. We can all specialize in different things. Like, I'm useless at various different activities like, you know, car repair or cooking. Uh, But, you know, I can do a, a radio show and I can run a radio network pretty well and the average person can't do that. Uh, so we've we've had this division of labor that over time has benefited uh, all of us in that we can be very specific at one thing and be pretty good at that one thing and offer our abilities on that thing to the rest of the marketplace in order to satisfy the needs that people have or the wants yeah. that they have. And that's why, you know, the question I asked previously was, what do you do about this? I think that her reaction is reactionary and not the right thing to do to just say, well, whew. I'm going to swear off all Chinese products whatsoever and basically screw over any, 
you know, hardworking Chinese folks that are out there not working in a forced labor condition. Right, I can't I, imagine most factories are forced labor over there. I think that the best thing you could do in this situation would be try and hold Sears accountable. Like it looks like she or Sears at least responded and said, this is not our policy. So, I mean, what more can she do besides check up on them and make right. sure that and they who's continue to, s- to enforce this policy? Right. And and who knows, you know, w- this would be something you could look into to find out what their policy is and how often it's checked. Maybe they had the wool pulled over their eyes. Yeah. Maybe they went into a deal with somebody and they showed off, oh, here's our factory where we make these things and it's up, it's up to spec. And then they changed gears, you know, a month later moved it to a forced labor factory so the people who are doing the reselling make more money, right? Maybe Sears has been paying the same amount all the time yeah. to this what they thought was the same company, but the company they're dealing with moved manufacturers without telling them. That's possible. Is it likely? I don't know. Hour two's next. You take control. I've been told no in many different ways. I give you an order and you're going to obey it. Who told you can go this way? You can do that and you have to leave here. You cannot reach five into the rally. have a funny way of telling people no. That's the sound of the men working on the chain. Derek J's Victimless Crime Spree. Available now free in HD. See it now at victimlesscrimespree.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves and bring up whatever's on your mind at 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can join us on our website. Head over to freetalklive.com. Enjoy the features that we share with you there. Once again, that's freetalklive.com. Still to come here tonight, uh, some news about teenagers and marijuana use. Uh, Julia has a story about that. Uh, 855-450-FREE, the toll-free number. We're here live, Christmas Eve edition of the program, and we're here to take your calls, as we always do. So let's go to the phones and the fun. First, we'll talk to Christian, listening in Kansas City. Christian, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Julia. Hello there. Uh, happy holidays, by the way. Indeed, sir. Go I, ahead. Uh, yes. Uh, so what I wanted to share was uh, I just wanted to share some uh, some paragraphs that I thought were relevant to the uh, the pizza guy uh, saying that he thought maybe uh, knowledge was uh, unattainable. Um, and so I get this uh, from Ayn Rand. Um, and so she wrote this. Uh, Men have been wrong, and then therefore he implies that they can never know what is right. But if they cannot know, how they how did they ever discover that they were wrong? How can one form such concepts as as a mistake or error while wholly um, ignorant of what is correct? Error signifies a departure from truth. The concept of error logically uh, proposes um, that one has already grasped some truth. If truth were unknowable, as uh, Descartes implies, the idea of departure from it would be meaningless. Uh, And just one more paragraph. The uh, same point applies to concepts denoting forms of error, 
we cannot ever be certain that an argument is logically valid if the if validity is unknowable then the concept of invalid reason is impossible to reach or excuse me apply if we cannot ever know that a man is sane then the concept of insanity is impossible to form or define if we cannot recognize uh, the state of being awake then we cannot recognize or conceptualize a state of not being awake such as dreaming if man cannot grasp x then non x stands for nothing and then fallibility does not make knowledge impossible. Knowledge is what makes possible the discovery of fallibility. Well, I'm certainly no, uh, you know, I'm not an acolyte of, uh, of Ayn Rand. I, I think that there's some that's uh, in that statement agreeable. I think that, however, as we were discussing in the last hour about the idea of knowledge, I think that you ultimately can't really know anything outside of you. Uh, you can come to some kind of understanding of what you've observed and come to conclusions based on that, but ultimately you can't really know for sure. But inside of you, I think that you can. You can absolutely know the sensations and the feelings that uh, that you're experiencing from whatever stimuli you're receiving. But ultimately, you'll never know, for instance, whether or not you know, you're know you stuck in the matrix with some sort of uh, thing jacked into your brain that's, uh, that's simulating all of this for you. But that doesn't mean that what you are experiencing is not real to you and that there aren't valuable lessons and observations and things that you can kind of take away from that within that experience. So I think that uh, it's an interesting discussion. Anything else you wanted to share? Your thoughts, perhaps? Uh, well, I, did, I, I just thought um, because it, 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 it sounded to me that maybe you guys were kind of falling into the whole skepticism that you know that that there was you know nothing uh, attainable, and I and I just wanted you know just to disagree and, and, and say that I think reason because right? I'm not an acolyte of, of Ayn Rand either. I think she's right you know a lot about a lot of things, but I think you know she's over the hill on on uh, other things as well. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I think probably reason is, is the uh, the best way to uh, find out what is uh, real or what is not. So that is it. Very good. Thanks for uh, the call All and right. your thoughts tonight. Eight five five four fifty free. I mean, I don't know. Like I said earlier, I don't think that I believe that there's nothing that you can know for sure. I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah. Well, I think that right. Like like I said, you can know yourself as. You can know yourself better than anything else out there, uh, you know, because you are the one experiencing what you're experiencing. But that's all you can ever well, really know. What about this example? This is the first thing that popped into my mind. So let's say I were to purchase some MDMA from the black market and mm-hmm. I were to perform a test on it because I have a test kit. And if I were going to take it, I would test it first. And the test kit gives me results and that tells me what's in it. Do I not know that? I mean, I guess it's a possibility that something has gone wrong with, with the, the test. test kit. Sure, sure. But if it's if I've gotten these test results over and over and over again, and I've taken it and I know it to mm-hmm. be true, do I not know that? Well, that comes back to I think what our caller earlier was talking about—the pizza guy, where things are just what we can determine is what's likely. Right. right? So that's the most likely explanation: is that you've tested this over and over again. You're familiar with the test. You're familiar with its results. You're familiar with what the results look like. Uh, so it's a pretty good likelihood that what you think you know is actually. I mean, I suppose the truth. it's possible, and this is the the likelihood thing. I suppose it's possible that there could be another chemical out there that is feels just like MDMA, and I and also tests like it, but it's not MDMA. It could be something else that produces similar results. 
Yeah. But that just seems really unlikely. Well, right. And so, you know, it's fun to talk about things like, you know, are we actually in the Matrix and is this all a big computer simulation? <laughs> I'm terrible at these kind of conversations. I think they're they're interesting. In fact, I actually had a story recently that we never got to, which might be worth pulling up here, about uh, is this actually a computer simulation? <laughs> they are going to attempt to uh, discern that through uh, some sort of scientific testing. And again... Who knows who's to say whether it's it's going to be accurate. But, uh, you know, that's an interesting conversation to have. But ultimately, focusing too much on those sorts of uh, esoteric ideas can lead you down a path of, you know, if you question reality too much, then you get into the possibility of going insane. Right. Because I. Well, and it it's kind of where religion stems from. Right. It's just people want an answer to all of these questions that we can't answer. So in many cases, people turn to religion, and I'm not sure if organized religion is particularly healthy in most cases. We can get to this uh, story about the simulated universe here in a moment. I think it's pretty interesting. But first, let's go to Chris listening in Indiana. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Chris. Yes. Uh, I wanted to talk about um, how today we're talking suddenly with the uh, Connecticut shooting. Um, there's a lot of discussion about getting crazy people off the street, but Either part of the reason um, some of this stuff um, went out of fashion was it was abused. And a couple of examples was... What stuff went out of fashion? I'm sorry. The reason what went uh, out of fashion? Committing people people, um, wholesale. And uh, um, in the Soviet Union, they had a a term called sluggish schizophrenia. The the premise was that the Soviet Union had the best system on earth, that anyone had these ideas about justice and freedom must be crazy and needs to be locked up. And I also want to point out that uh, the first, we all know about um, James Meredith, who, who, who was the first uh, um, um, black student at the University of Mississippi. Um, uh, previously, a man by the name of Clean, Clinton Washington King applied, and they locked him up because he was crazy, because uh, only a crazy black man would want to get into the University of Mississippi. Hmm. And so these kind of things can be abused. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're guaranteed to be abused. You put somebody in charge of deciding who uh, should be locked in a cage, and inevitably they're going to lock away the people that uh, you know they might have uh, some sort of uh, serious disagreement with. We were just talking about the Falun Gong in China uh, allegedly being locked into forced labor camps simply because they believe differently from the Chinese communist uh, government. Yeah, the threshold, though, is, is even lower for these kind of things than a criminal case. At least you have a chance at a jury of your peers, you know, no matter how, how, how skewed that system is. But um, usually these insanity cases just take a judge. And oh, yeah. Off you go. Right. And there's uh, Baker Act law. The, the, it's called the Baker Act in Florida, and they have different names for it all across the country. But it's the, the law that allows you to call uh, the so-called authorities on somebody you know and basically have them committed. For yeah, it's an seventy-two hours. Uh, it's indefinite too. I mean, there's no definite release date. Well, usually it's a seventy-two hour hold, but then they they could you know evaluate you with their state shrink at some point, typically within there, and possibly extend that. Okay, well, I just want to let you guys know my opinion on that. Thank you. Hey, man, I appreciate the uh, the call and the thoughts here. Eight five five four fifty free. The SACL CAI toll free line. And, you know, maybe the person who's out there ranting on the streets is, maybe they know what the truth is, and we're all just, you know, clueless. And that's going to get them locked up because they're saying something different from what everyone wants to hear. 855-450-FREE. Coming up, scientists can apparently test to see if the universe is a computer simulation. 
Uh, we'll find out more about that in moments. It's Free Talk Live. Puke in the Gang, the podcast for grumpy young men, brings you issues. We are talking about raping babies. I love Nazis. Beast Jesus. News. New York shuts down vibrator giveaway. Here's a fun story out of uh, Spain. El Correo. No, wait, that's a newspaper. Personal stories. I kicked a windshield once because I was angry. I just got annoyed and I wanted to die. I know all the words to get jiggy with it. I have a horribly tiny penis. Responsible journalism. I'm drinking my liquor. When we do the show, we're generally drunk. Pukeinthegang.com. And cake. This is Free Talk Live. You bring up whatever you want and do it toll free. 855 450 free. That's the SACL CAI toll free line. 1 855 450. 3733 joining you in studio tonight. It's Ian. And Julia. It's the live Christmas Eve edition of the show. Thanks to Kyle, uh, our board operator tonight, for taking the time to come in on what probably would have been a day off for him uh, to come here and do Free Talk Live. So do appreciate that. And of course, all of our great radio stations that uh, are carrying us throughout the holidays and they didn't flip to Christmas music or something like that, which tends to happen in radio during uh, these days. And it's usually a sad thing when it does because typically a lot of times the station, if like a talk station goes Christmas music, odds are good they're not coming back to talk. So if if your favorite talk station is playing Christmas music right now. There's a lot of radio stations that play Christmas music. Yeah, well, because today I don't listen to the radio because I can't stand the static and I can't stand, I know. oh, it bothers me. It's like, it's the equivalent of watching a DVD skip, you know, which is, mm. it bothers me. And You're also spoiled, the music selection is horrendous. So I just don't like it. Even And I like talk radio, but any talk radio show I would want to listen to, I could download on the internet and mm-hmm. at, listen to at my own time and hear it clearly. So why would I listen to the radio? You're the reason why old media is dying, Julia. I don't care. You're spoiled it's with all it's your new garbage. media. <laughs> so, but I have a rental car right now because I was unfortunately in a car accident and my car is mm-hmm. getting fixed. And so I was flipping through the radio because all my CDs are in my car. Yep. And I heard Christmas music on... Ten stations, I swear. I mean, most of it didn't come in very clearly, but it was just one station after another. Christmas music, Christmas music, Christmas music. Well, I think that's good because it'll make us more conspicuous. So if somebody is uh, surfing through the band and looking for something to listen to and all they're hearing is Christmas music, maybe they'd be more likely to stop and listen to talk radio. Uh, So here we are tonight to take your calls about anything you would like at 855-450-FREE. We kind of ended up going uh, from Chinese forced labor camps (laughs) to a discussion about, uh, you know, kind of this esoteric discussion about whether or not, you know, what is real uh, knowledge? Can we really know things outside of ourselves? And ultimately, can we even know that the experience that we're having is real? What is reality? Well, according to... Yahoo.com's The Sideshow, a Yahoo News blog, uh, physicists are testing to see if the universe is a computer simulation. Will you take the red pill or the blue pill? Some physicists and university researchers say it's possible to test the theory that our entire universe exists inside of a computer simulation, like in the 1999 film The Matrix. In a 2003 University of Oxford philosophy, in 2003, excuse me, University of Oxford philosophy professor Nick Bostrom published a paper, The Simulation Argument, which argued that, quote, we are almost certainly living in a computer simulation. 
unquote. Now, we've actually talked about that, uh, I think, before on this radio program. And now a team at Cornell University says it's come with a come up with a viable method for testing whether we're all just a series of numbers in some ancient civilization's computer game. Researchers at the University of Washington agree with the testing method, saying that it can be done. And a similar proposal was put forth by German physicists in November. So how precisely can we test whether we exist? Put simply, researchers are building their own simulated models using a technique called lattice quantum chromodynamics. And of course, this is where stories like this completely break down, right? Because I don't know what lattice quantum chromodynamics is. And who does? And right, well, apparently the people that are researching it probably know more than we do. But Uh, the average person in America does not know what this is. Right. And, you know, it's, it's always fun to have whatever that actually is attempted to be boiled down into some sort of understandable terminology right. by whoever the author of this particular blog post is over at Yahoo News. So, you know, we'll just put it out there that we who are doing this show do not understand what that means <laughs> and you who are listening are probably not uh, scientifically minded uh, and, and, you know, informed enough to really know. But And while those models, the article continues, while those models are currently able to produce models only slightly larger than the nucleus of an atom, University of Washington physics professor Martin Savage says the same principles used in creating those simulations can be applied on a larger scale. He says this is the first testable signature of such an idea. If you make the simulations big enough, something like our universe should emerge. Now, for somebody to just throw those words out there, it makes it sound like he knows what he's talking about, and we're going to presume he does know what he's talking about for the sake of being able to have this conversation. But I really don't know what that means. Well, If you make a simulation big enough, something like our universe should emerge? I mean, that sounds really Have you ever tried talking about something that you may know a little bit about and embellishing and just talking like you're an expert? Mm -hmm. When I worked at Panera Bread, I used to work in the bakery, and I sort of prided myself in being knowledgeable about somewhat knowledgeable about the product because a lot of the kids that work there are you know they're just there on college they got eight dollars an hour they don't care about anything and and I find it really annoying when I go into a place and you ask someone something and they not only do they not know the answer which obviously I didn't know the answer to everything but they don't have any desire to direct you to where you can find the answer that mm-hmm. they're just like I don't know so I've really liked being knowledgeable and I used to pride myself in being able to sell the bread and I made it so I I learned one or two things about each loaf of bread so I really didn't know that much about the baking process and the bread but I would word it in a way that I sound like the way I would word the paragraph would make it sound like I really knew what I was talking about Mm -hmm. and I got a lot of compliments on it and it's actually really fun to be able to embellish in that way and sort of make it sound (laughs) like you're an expert I don't know if that's something you should be proud of but uh, it's it's I can't think of another example of me doing this so obviously yeah. it's not common I mean would you call that BSing well, not really right because it's knowledge I wasn't based being, I wasn't yeah. BSing I wasn't making things up that weren't true about the product yeah. but just the way that I would structure the sentences mm. would make I would say facts and I would structure it like I knew a lot about this particular loaf of bread because sometimes people would come in and they would say like I want a loaf of bread for this what do you recommend People you do know. want to feel like they're talking with someone that knows what they're right. doing. Right, so I would just be able to craft the sentences. Mm. So I wasn't lying, 
but I was just fluffing, you know? <laughs> I think that would be a good word for it. And it was, it was kind of fun. The testing method in this case is far more complicated. Consider the Cornell University explanation. Here's what they say. Quote, Using the historical development of lattice gauge theory technology as a guide, we assume that our universe is an early numerical simulation with unimproved Wilson-Fermian discretization and investigate potentially observable consequences. Do you follow all that? Nope. Okay. Uh, To translate, now here's where they're going to try to boil this down for us regular folk. If energy signatures in our simulations match those in the universe at large, there's a good chance that we too exist within a simulation. Did you follow that one? Not really. Okay. So let me try it again. I'll just try it again by repeating it because I know you were looking at your laptop at that moment. They're saying that the translation of the Cornell speak is... If the energy signatures that they test in the simulations they create, so the scientists are creating their own simulations and testing some sort of signature of energy to that simulation, they're saying that if those simulation signatures match those that are found in the universe at large, there's a good chance that we as well are existing within a simulation. Interesting. I understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, but it's still a difficult concept to wrap my brain around. Sure, because what would it mean if it were true? I don't know. 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 1-855-450-3733. We can dig a little bit further into that question. And you're welcome to share your thoughts as well. Of course, you can take over the airwaves and bring up whatever's on your mind. Live Christmas Eve edition of Free Talk Live. The three most important things you can do for Free Talk Live are, one, share one episode a week on Facebook or in some other social networking site. Two, buy the things you buy online through shop.freetalklive.com. Three, give five bucks a month to the AMP program. You like your friends. You like Free Talk Live. Like your friends enough to share something you like with them. Help Free Talk Live get into more ears. Podcast listeners are the most important area of growth for Free Talk Live. Please share one episode a week on Facebook. Free Talk Live, toll-free number tonight, 855-450-FREE. You're certainly welcome to share your thoughts with us on whatever's on your mind. It's the live Christmas Eve edition of the program, and we're not really doing anything differently. I mean, we're here, and uh, Julia, thanks for for coming in tonight. This isn't a different day for me. No, that's true. And uh, Except that I get a day off in the middle of the week. Well, and there's no Mark here as well, so we get a little bit uh, of a different uh, show going on because of that. Uh, Mark should be returning at some point this week. Uh, 855-450-FREE, and we'll continue doing live programming. I believe we'll be live tomorrow night as well as New Year's Eve. I have not heard otherwise, so I presume that we will. Hopefully our wonderful board ops will continue to come in and uh, do a little bit extra work when they don't normally have to. Uh, so again, 855-450-FREE, the toll-free number here. The story is from Yahoo's Sideshow. It's a blog from Yahoo News where they're citing uh, various different university researchers, uh, physicists, claiming they have a way of testing to find out whether or not the entire universe exists within a uh, simulation. And we'll continue that here in a moment. BitInstant.com, that's the fastest, safest, and easiest way to acquire Bitcoins. We've talked about Bitcoins a lot on this show, and you'll continue to hear about them because 
they are really important. In my opinion, they're already the most expensive, uh, the most valuable currency in the world, and they've become that within about two to three years of existence. Uh, there's, it's been an amazing rise to the top for the Bitcoin. There's no guarantee that it's going to stay there, but as of right now, there is no digital currency that can really compete uh, with the Bitcoin. The Bitcoin's been around the longest. It has uh, weathered through changes, and uh, it's incredibly useful. You can transfer money well, instantaneously. Well, it's easy, too, and, and that's what I like about it. As I'm not, I'm not very knowledgeable when it comes to um, like investing money, that kind of thing. And bitcoins is very simple. It's simple. Well, but it's, it's not it's, easy for someone who doesn't know a lot about computing. I mean, I guess you don't have to know well, a lot no, about it. But that's the thing. I've watched several video videos on bitcoins, and it's still the concept confuses me. Yeah, but. But it works. It doesn't matter. It's easy for me to obtain, and obviously it's not like I'm saving all of my money in Bitcoins. Yeah. But I No, that would be folly. That would be yeah, that would not be a good idea um with anything, I wouldn't think. No, you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket, so it's to speak. a lot easier for me to understand Bitcoins than it is for me to get into silver personally. And it's easier for me to obtain the Bitcoins. It's not hard to get silver. I mean you can go I'm to not um, saying it is. go to gold.freetalklive.com and uh, grab as much silver and gold sure. as you would like. But you can't but take that Bitcoin. Is easy. Right. You can't take silver and gold and easily uh transfer it online. You just can't do that. Right. You I mean pretty much silver and gold you have to be willing to hand it over physically to somebody otherwise you're paying shipping fees you're right. risking losing it in the mail i, and I like that. that if i for some reason had to leave the country today yeah i would be able to have my bitcoins wherever it was that i arrived right, not that i'm planning get... on having to leave the country right but it's not you know the government can't come and seize up my account they wouldn't know that you have them nope. i mean you're going through customs you don't have to declare your bitcoins right i don't have to take them out and bring nope. them with me so there's that nice safety net that you if something happened you had some sort of emergency and you right. had to leave your area you would be able to ac- access them all Very good, easily. All good reasons to get into Bitcoin. It's, uh, it's you know, for me, it's a it's partially a way to get money out of the Federal Reserve note and keep it in something different. Uh, so it's sort of an investment, I guess, in that way. But it's also a useful currency uh, yeah. in that you can easily transact money online, no problem, without you know middlemen, without fees, and it's great. So when I you're ready to get some, go to bitinstant.com. And I didn't mean to make it sound like you have to be technically adept to no, do this. You don't. It's easier now than it was before the bitcoin has become easier to use over time as more people want to get involved with it more developers get involved and come up with easy ways like bitpay.com like we were talking about if you want to be you know if you want to be a business to accept bitcoins online and convert them to cash automatically bitpay can help you do that so there's all these tools that have come out uh, to help make using bitcoin even easier like even the, the bitcoin clients there's competitive clients now that you've got the original bitcoin client which is software that you run on your computer uh, but the original client has a problem now and the problem is that it downloads the entire blockchain which the last time i looked a couple weeks ago was five gigabytes so it can be a real hassle to download all that information uh just to get this client working whereas there are now clients like the electrum client which relies on servers that are using that full blockchain. So the server has a blockchain, and your Electrum client just connects to the server. So as soon as you download and install the Electrum client, you're instantly connected. You don't well, have to download anything beyond that. It's great that there is, because it's unregulated, there is competition is able to happen. So like with banks, they're very heavily reg- regulated. They're virtually all the same. They offer the same products and services, and they don't really change or do anything different. Yep. You know, they 
so this is something that I think is really cool about Bitcoins. Another thing that I think is really cool about Bitcoins is that there are like I I see things getting really amazing because the possibilities are endless as far as competition is concerned. Right. Blockchain.info. You can get their app for your uh, Android or if you've got a jailbroken iPhone, you can get the app for that uh, for that as well. And that allows you to have your Bitcoins right on your phone. And blockchain is not the only one with an app. There are multiple apps out there for this. But allow you to keep your Bitcoins on your phone. You scan a QR code on somebody else's phone or wherever else, and you can send that person Bitcoins instantaneously. Instantaneously. The easiest way to get them, though, is bitinstant.com. It makes it possible for you to deposit cash at more than a million locations, including your own computer. I just used Dwala, for instance, uh, through bitinstant.com. And you can do the cash deposits in more than 30 countries. I've also gone to CVS and Walmart and tried it there, and it works. Uh, It's easy, and bitinstant.com lets you do it. Go there and select how you want to fund your account and where the account's located, and then make the deposit. It's that simple. Bitinstant.com. So the story here is from Yahoo News, and they are talking about university physicists who are saying that they have a way now of testing whether the entire universe exists in a computer simulation. And basically, they're checking energy signatures of what we consider reality versus a simulation that they're creating, and they're seeing if the signatures match. There's a much more scientific explanation. So, do these scientists, were they really questioning whether or not this was a computer-simulated reality? The reason I ask is because, I guess, this is something I don't really think of. Like, when The Matrix came out, people said, ah-ha-ha, is this really what's happening? Or... You know, is it as we know it? But I guess I've never met anyone who really thinks this. So I think it's interesting that scientists cared enough to do a study. Well, you know, is art imitating life or is life imitating art? I mean, in this case, the original inspiration for this was the study by, or not only was study, but it was a paper uh, presenting an argument. Nick Bostrom wrote it back in 2003. Are you living in a computer simulation? So this is the opinion of one scientist type. Uh, and his abstract, which is, you know, the, the very basic summary of his lengthy, you know, pif, uh, let's see, four, uh, how many pages is this? Quite a few. Uh, a very lengthy paper is as follows. The paper argues that at least one of the following propositions is true. Number one, the human species is very likely to go extinct before reaching a post-human stage. Two, Any post-human civilization is extremely unlikely to run a significant number of simulations of their uh, evolutionary history, or variations thereof. Three, we are almost certainly living in a computer simulation. It follows that the the belief that there is a significant chance that we will one day become post-humans who run ancestor simulations is false unless we are currently living in a simulation. A number of other consequences of this result are also discussed. So the suggestion is that, uh, you know, we have already achieved being, you know, transhuman, the robot bodies or whatever. And <laughs> My that now, robot body needs to be more effective. I need an upgrade. And that now, well, that you're not in a robot body at the oh. moment, that you're just some sort of a simulation that, uh, you know, we have created to, I guess, relive the past or something like that. I think that's what he's he's getting hmm. at there. Um so for what it's worth, there's that. Uh, but, the, you know, the question is, what would it mean if it were true? And that was the question I asked at the end of the last segment. If it turns out that this is a simulation, of course, you know, that's going to be the opinion of these people if their experiments are successful. It doesn't mean that that's true necessarily. But let's say that that's what they end up reporting is that, yep, sure enough, it's a computer simulation. 
<laughs> would that change anything about how you live and what you think? 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You are welcome to share your thoughts. This is Free Talk Live. Do you have a website or product that you make available to people nationally or even internationally? Free Talk Live is heard on more than 100 radio stations and 2XM channels. FTL has also been voted five times the best political podcast of the year and four times been named to Talkers Magazine's Heavy 100 list, the 100 most important radio programs in the country. We can do ad packages for you from as little as $500 a month on up to $3,000. I'll work with you to customize a package that will work within your budget. Contact me, Mark, at mark at freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves and dial in toll-free at 855-450-FREE. The SACL CAI toll-free line. Join us online over at freetalklive.com. And while you think about the answer to the question, what would it mean if it turned out it were true that this were all a computer simulation... I've actually pulled up the summary written by Nick Bostrom, who is the author of The Simulation Argument, a paper written in 2003. He's a University of Oxford philosophy professor, arguing that we almost certainly live in a computer simulation. But the paper itself is obviously really lengthy. We're not going to be able to share that with you. But I'm pretty sure we talked about this in 2006, because I, I definitely know we've talked about this specific paper and i'm pretty sure we've read this before but since it's been more than half a decade since we've done it i think it's fair to bring it back up considering it's the topic of discussion at the moment your thoughts are welcome though 855-450-FREE the SACL cai toll free line so this is his uh, summary in pdf form from simulation-argument.com do we live in a computer simulation By Nick Bostrom. Science has revealed much about the world and our position within it. Generally, the findings have been humbling. The Earth is not the center of the universe. Our species descended from brutes. We are made of the same stuff as mud. We are moved by neurophysiological signals and subject to a variety of biological, psychological, and sociological influences over which we have limited control and little understanding. One of our remaining sources of pride is technological progress. Like the polyps that over time create coral reefs, the many generations of humans that have come before us have built up a vast technological infrastructure. Our habitat is now largely one of human making. The fact of technological progress is also, in a sense, humbling. It suggests that the most advanced technology we have today is extremely limited and primitive compared with what our descendants will have. If we extrapolate these expected technological advances and think through some of their logical implications, we arrive at another humbling conclusion. The simulation argument, which has caused some stir since I published it three years ago. The formal version of the argument requires some probability theory, but the underlying idea can be grasped without mathematics. It starts with the assumption that future civilizations will have enough computing power and programming skills to be able to create what I call ancestor simulations. Now remember, just to break away from his explanation for a moment, 
We've certainly talked about uh, Ray Kurzweil on this show and the prediction, the idea that at some point this uh, singularity will occur where basically computing brain power will surpass the human brain power and we will see you know, basically the merging of technology with human humanity creating cyborgs and eventually you know the transition to full-on you know a robotic future for humanity i really hope i get to see this uh well according to kurzweil it could be within our lifetimes due to the relatively increasing clip this exponential increasing of technology moore's law for instance uh which of course is just an observation and could be surpassed at some point shows processing ability is constantly cranking up so it's not un uh, it's not unbelievable to suggest that this could happen within the next twenty years or so, or at least well, they you know, reaching do the singularity. Have, uh, now it's happened many times where they'll hook up a computer or a robot body part to somebody, and the person is able to control it with their mind. Sure, yeah, which we're is starting amazing. to see the, right. We're starting to see the beginnings of that melding of humanity with um, with robot, and eventually the idea would be that if the computer brain is more advanced than the human brain, then it doesn't need the human brains anymore to, you know, continue upgrading to the next version. The computer can then work on its own software. It can then improve itself. And so successive generations of computers would become faster and faster, and they would be doing their own programming at that point, largely leaving the rest of us to be uh, irrelevant. Uh, And so we would be silly to not uh, incorporate the technology within ourselves to extend our life and all that. But that's transhumanism. It's another uh, discussion. We're talking about what people who are that advanced, what that, whatever that would be, whatever you want to call it, a race or being or organism, whatever that structure of society would end up being, could they create these, what he's talking about here, ancestor simulations, that is, detailed simulations of those who are writing the simulations, predecessors. Detailed enough for the simulated minds to be conscious and have the same kinds of experiences that we have today. Think of an ancestor simulation as a very realistic virtual reality environment, but one where the brains inhabiting the world are themselves part of the simulation. The simulation argument makes no assumption about how long it will take to develop this capacity. Some futurologists think it will happen within the next 50 years, but even if it takes 10 million years, it makes no difference to the argument. So... Let me state, writes Bostrom, what the conclusion of the argument is. The conclusion is that at least one of the following three propositions must be true. One, and we went over this briefly a moment ago, this is his explanation. Almost all civilizations at our level of development become extinct before becoming technologically mature. Meaning that if there's some sort of extinction due to nuclear holocaust or some sort of world-ending traumatic event, that obviously then the they wouldn't get to the point of being able to develop those Uh, simulation softwares because everybody would be extinct. So he accepts that as one possibility for the future. Two, the fraction of technologically mature civilizations that are interested in creating ancestor simulations is almost zero, meaning that once uh, civilization gets to the point where they're able to do a simulation like this, that they would just decide they're not interested in doing that. Well, what would be the point? Exploration. I have to say that if this is a simulation, it's a really crappy one. What do you mean Life by that? Life could just be a lot. I could be on a <laughs> beach right now with a drink with an umbrella, you know, being served to me. And I'm just saying that we work really hard. Terrible things happen all yeah. the time. Is that what people want to be simulated or are they just torturing us? Well, that's an interesting question. You know, what are those who, if this is a simulation, what are their intentions in creating this? Maybe, you know, life is so blissful as you're talking about 
that they wanted the ability to feel the difficulties of life that uh, that we feel. Right. Like suffering makes sense because it is how people get stronger and it happens with all species. But if we've advanced to the point where that's not happening anymore and we're just simulating all of these bad things happening, why? Then they're, then our robot overlords are just mean. Well, uh, that's certainly a possibility. And, and as he acknowledges... And we created them, so they should be nicer. As he acknowledges, well, I guess it would depend on how we treat them after we create them. And of course, we I treat is a my big, robots very right, well. We is a big category, right? <laughs> so some people may be very mean to robots while others may not. Uh, and hopefully the robots. Will I have am the very ability, nice to robots. Right. Hopefully the robots will have the ability to discern who their friends are and who aren't. Yes. You would think <laughs> that they would have that ability. Number two. Uh, so, you know, he admits that number two is a possibility that, you know, in the future, whatever future civilizations may not be interested in running ancestor simulations. But then again, look at all the evidence. I mean, we've got video games today where, you know, you can go and play Napoleon or whoever and you can be some sort of, uh, you know, previously existing person doing some existing battle, like, you know, re- uh, reenacting the Civil War, uh, for instance. Some people are very interested in uh, taking part in something that they didn't have the ability to. Uh, but anyway, number three. Do those is that- people really want the ability to fight in civil war that sounds awful i don't think so i don't think they want the ability to die (laughs) in civil war but that doesn't mean they're not fascinated by it and that they wouldn't be interested in to some extent having the ability to relive some of that number three is that you almost are certainly living in a computer simulation and so bostrom asks how do we reach this conclusion suppose first that the first proposition is false that is that everyone became extinct then at a significant fraction then a significant fraction of civilizations at our level of development eventually become technologically mature suppose too that the second proposition is false then a significant fraction of these civilizations run ancestor simulations therefore if both 1 and 2 are false there will be simulated minds like ours if we work out the numbers, we find that there would be vastly many more simulated minds than non-simulated minds. We assume that technologically mature civilizations would have access to enormous amounts of computing power. So enormous, in fact, that by devoting even a tiny fraction of that computing, computing power to ancestor simulations, they would be able to implement billions of simulations, each containing as many people as have ever existed. In other words, almost all minds like yours would be simulated. Therefore, by a very weak principle of indifference, you would have to assume that you are probably one of these simulated minds rather than one of the ones that are not simulated. Hence, if you think that propositions one and two are both false, you should accept the third. It's not coherent to reject all three. It should be emphasized that the simulation argument does not show that you are living in a simulation. The conclusion is simply that at least one of the three propositions is true. It does not tell us which one. In reality, we don't have much specific information to tell us which of the three propositions might be true. In this situation, it might be reasonable to distribute our credence roughly evenly between them. We'll continue the discussion here in moments. 855-450-FREE is the SACL CAI toll-free line. And uh, apparently the world didn't end a few days ago, but some people are yes. still asking whether or not it even exists in the first place. But we're kind of examining these ideas and would love to continue that here in a moment. Also, you can bring up whatever's on your mind. Plus, news about teens and pot use. Julia's got that to share with us tonight. It's Free Talk Live. What if the key to achieving liberty in your lifetime was to move together with others who think like you? 
Liberty activists are joining the Free State Project, which is over halfway to its goal of 20,000 participants. And they're already making the move to New Hampshire. The successes are piling up and are proving the Free State Project is a real movement and no longer just a great idea. When you're planning your move, consider Keene. Keene is famous for its civil disobedience and non-cooperation, and there's plenty of political opportunity as well. From demonstrations and vigils to outreach and volunteering, there's a lot going on in Keene. Keene is also the undisputed Liberty Media capital of the world, with television, talk radio, and more, all originating here. Though it's more than just activism, with regular social events each week. See what's happening at freekeen.com and get connected with video, audio, free books, a forum, and activist tools you can download and use in your area at freekeen.com. That's freekeen.com. This is Free Talk Live. You bring up whatever you would like at 855-450-FREE. That number is toll-free, and it's brought to you by SACL CAI. It's the live Christmas Eve edition of the program. We will continue to be here throughout the holidays, continue to be live every single night, so as you can call in and bring up whatever you might like. Or you can listen to us vamp about whatever we think is relevant. In this case, it's not exactly news of the day, and this isn't a news show, so if you came here looking for that, sorry. Uh, We talk about issues, and we have open phones, which means you can take control at any time. And we, tonight, being Ian... And Julia. Uh, Okay, so what we were talking about, for those of you just tuning in, in the last hour, uh, we actually, it was in the first hour, we had this call from the pizza guy in Fargo who wanted to talk about knowledge and how it is we can't know anything, in his opinion, that we can only know what's or, or, you know, believe in what's likely or what we consider to be likely. That led into a larger kind of metaphysical discussion about, you know, what we can and can't know. And I argued that we can know ourselves. Uh, but we can't know anything outside of us for 100% certain. But, you know, as you pointed out, Julia, we can know based on observation what we consider to be likely. And generally, that works pretty well for us, being able to observe our real- what, you know, what we perceive as reality, make decisions based on our observations and what we know is our uh, past experience. Generally, that works pretty well. But every now and then, there, uh, there was a book that I read, uh, and I, I'm sorry, I forget who sent it to me, but uh, it was one of the books I read while I was in jail called The Black Swan, which was very interesting. Uh, the idea, and forgive me if I don't exactly recount it, uh, but the, the basic concept is that we can, you know, we're, it's, it's pretty possible to count on our observations and, and know that, you know, something is likely to, to occur or likely to be a certain way based on the way it's always been in our observation. But then all of a sudden the black swan comes along and totally turns what we thought we knew on, our, on its head. So, you know, the, the example that the book is titled after is the idea that there are black swans. And for somebody who'd seen white swans their entire lives, white swans, you know, in real life, white swans on television, white swans on, you know, in books and encyclopedias and things like that, to encounter all of a sudden the black swan is a surprising event that doesn't seem... It, well, it wasn't likely, right? So we didn't predict that, didn't see it coming. I don't yet know it was if there. I would be that surprised because I know that I don't know anything about swans. Yeah. And even though I have seen white swans and I would recognize a white swan, if I saw a black swan, 
I would be like, well, I don't really know anything about swans. Huh, there's black swans. It's not a it's not necessarily th- that the best example right. is the title of the book, but that just gives you an idea of what a black swan is. Something sure. unexpected, you know, based on observation, based on, you know, what and that's how we create what we know is is based on that's our like observations. There's, uh, there's black squirrels in Canada. Yeah. And there are not black squirrels anywhere that I have been in the United States and I am always weirded out when I see these <laughs> Canadian black squirrels. So the uh, what we were talking about is you know is the universe a simulation? Scientists are testing this. They have come up with a way to test the theory that this might actually, in point of fact, what we're experiencing now might actually be some kind of a uh, what he describes the uh, the scientist here in NewScientist.com uh, as a ancestor simulation, and his name is Nick Bostrom, and we're sharing with you. His paper from 2006, summary version of what is a much, much longer you know, thesis and, and paper. And he's talking about probabilities. And he says that it's likely that one of three scenarios is true for the future. So scenario number one is that almost all civilizations become extinct before becoming technologically mature, meaning that they wouldn't be able to create any kind of simulation because they'd be extinct. Number two is that the fraction of technologically mature civilizations that are interested in creating ancestor simulations is almost zero. And that seems pretty unlikely because people seem to be interested in simulating the past. So it seems natural that future uh, civilizations would be interested in simulating past civilizations. And in fact, Syphes, uh, one of our uh, listeners online, has pointed out via text that uh, currently scientists from Cornell and Oxford are already wanting to run uh, ancestor simulations. And, you know, we're not even to the point where that's possible yet. So probably not likely that number two is the case for the future. Uh, maybe, you know, people being extinct, that's possibility. But otherwise, he says, you're almost certainly living in a computer simulation. Now, he says, let's consider the options in a little more detail. Proposition one is straightforward. For example, maybe there's some technology that every advanced civilization eventually develops, that, which then destroys them. Let's hope this is not the case. Proposition two requires that there is a strong convergence among all advanced civilizations, such that almost none of them are interested in running ancestor simulations. One can imagine various reasons that may lead civilizations to make this choice, yet for proposition two to be true, virtually all civilizations would have to refrain. If this were true, it would be an interesting constraint on the future evolution of intelligent life. The third possibility is philosophically philosophically the most intriguing. If it is correct, you are almost certainly living in a computer simulation that was created by some advanced civilization. What Copernicus and Darwin and latter-day scientists have been discovering are the laws and workings of the simulated reality. These laws might or might not be identical to those operating at the more fundamental level of reality, where the, simu- where the computer that is running our simulation exists, which, of course, may itself be a simulation. In a way, our place in the world would be humbler than we thought. What kind of impl- implications would this have? How should it change the way you live your life? Which takes us around to the question that I had asked previously. You, your first reaction might be to think that if number three is true, then all bets are off and you would go crazy. To reason thus would be an error. Even if we are in a simulation, the best methods of predicting what will happen next are still the familiar ones. Extrapolation of past trends, scientific modeling, and common sense. To a first approximation, if you thought you were in a simulation, you should get on with your life in much the same way as if you were convinced that you were leading a non-simulated life at the bottom level of reality. If we are in a simulation... Could we ever know for certain? 
If the simulators don't want us to find out, we probably never will. But if they choose to reveal themselves, they could certainly do so. Another event that would let us conclude with a high degree of confidence that we are in a simulation is if we ever reach a point where we are able to switch on our own ancestor simulations. That would be very strong evidence against the first two propositions, leaving us with only the third. 855-450-FREE. So I agree that if it's true that we are in a simulation, that nothing ultimately changes. Right, because because, here we are. For example... Your first instinct would say, well, if this is just a computer simulation, I'm not going to work tomorrow because what's the point? It doesn't matter. But I'm still going to feel the repercussions of that because it's been a computer simulation the whole time. And if I get fired because I don't show up to work, then I might be homeless. So, And that cold's still going to feel darn cold. So (laughs) there's really no benefit to learning that this is indeed a computer simulation. I don't know if there's no benefit to learning that. I I think if we did find out that that was true, it would be revealing about things. I mean, it would be a shock, I think, to a lot of people. What would it mean for people's religious belief system? I mean, right? You, you believe a lot of people believe in uh, well, this daddy that- god up in the sky that is, you know, that is all knowing and all seeing. But is that what they really expected? That daddy god would actually be some future iteration of them? I'm not sure that religious people that were really religious would change their viewpoint at all based on this information. I don't know. You're talking about if a simulator presented himself in front of you and were to somehow prove to you that he was doing this and this was a computer simulation. Like Neo in the Matrix appearing and uh, reworking the entire existence. That would be pretty amazing for some people. And, of course, someone who was interested in doing that, the simulator, would be able to appear as though he were God, right? If you are the simulator, you wrote the rules and and or can modify those rules at will. So that could actually strengthen religious people's beliefs uh, if they ignored you know, what he was really saying about, hey, we programmed you. Well, and I think that religious people tend to be really good at ignoring things that they yeah. don't want to, you know— you know what I mean? 855-450-FREE. You may take control of the airwaves here. But ultimately, yeah, if it is a simulation, we still have to continue being uh, civil to one another because it's the right thing to do. Because we're here now. And all that really matters is our experience now and how we treat one another. 855-450-FREE. You can take control of the airwaves because even though it's a simulation, it sure seems real to us. If that's what it is. More coming up. You can take control. Free Talk Live. The three most important things you can do for Free Talk Live are, one, share one episode a week on Facebook or in some other social networking site. Two, buy the things you buy online through shop.freetalklive.com. Three, give five bucks a month to the AMP program. You likely buy all kinds of things online. Amazon is the largest online retailer. You can get what you need at the same prices with free super saver shipping by going to shop.freetalklive.com. Please do your online shopping at shop.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It is the live Christmas Eve edition of the program. You can bring up whatever you would like at 855-450-FREE. The 
uh, the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-855-450-3733. With you tonight, it's Ian. And Julia. Join us on our website over at freetalklive.com. Enjoy the features that we share with you there. Uh, once again, that's freetalklive.com. And the features on our site include archives. So if you've missed a moment of the show, it's no problem. You just go click and download as many of them as you would like, all completely free. And uh, once again, that's freetalklive.com. They're right there at the top of the page. Last seven days worth. Then click into the archive section if you'd like to go back for a year's worth of the program. Plus, there's our SoundCloud page, which also allows you the same access to those same archives. But in addition, the Edgington Post series, which Mark does uh, pretty much on a weekly basis, at least. You can go to soundcloud.freetalklive.com to access that. And each of the archives on SoundCloud has an easy-to-use share button that makes it very easy to share your favorite episodes on Facebook, Twitter, uh, WordPress, wherever it is you would like to share them, and it's all free. Freetalklive.com. By the way, Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project. Your best chance at achieving liberty in your lifetime, you got to get together with other people who think like you. People who understand what liberty is all about. That in order to be free, you have to allow others to be free. And that being free means that you're free to live your life how you want, so long as you don't harm anybody else. Uh, so go to freestateproject.org and specifically get signed up for the Liberty Forum. It's coming up February 21st through the 24th. Julia, do you know if you're going to be able to make it yet? I'll probably be there. February 21st through the 24th. It's going to be a great time. There are going to be hundreds of like-minded, liberty-oriented people all occupying the same hotel. We'll have speeches by folks like Tom Woods, Declan McCullough, Cory Doctorow. Uh, new speakers to be announced here fairly soon, from what I understand. And you want to make sure you get your tickets now because it's still the early bird rate. You can still get tickets for 100 bucks or 200 bucks, depending on your preference. If you want to eat at the banquet dinners and you know be there for those parts of the, uh, the forum, that's the $200 ticket, or I think it's 199 bucks. And then there's the $100 ticket, which gets you into all the speeches and panel discussions and forum events, except for the banquets uh, and the, you know, the food events. So if you want to get the, the food included, that's 200 bucks for the whole weekend. If you want to do it without, then it's just 100 bucks. I mean, this is the most affordable convention you're probably going to experience. And you're going to have a lot of fun because you're going to meet a lot of uh, interesting folks. Free Talk Live will be broadcasting live throughout the entire event. And go to freestateproject.org slash libertyforum to learn more as we go to the phones and the fun. We'll go to Dason listening in Utah on the amp lines. Hey, Dason. Hello. Hey, what's on your mind? Hi. I'd like to bring up the topic of, well, existence. Okay. It was about a year or two ago when I was contemplating the similarities between the evolution of thought versus the evolution of genetics. The evolution of what? Thought. Thought, okay. Yeah. And the funny thing is, genetics and thought evolve very similarly. You see, depending on what you're exposed to, vocalize information, and the resourcing of your external information, will alter the evolution pattern of your thought. If you're only given so much stimuli within a certain period of time, then you'll only change so much. Same with genetics. It was very common, actually, back in the day for when towns were so close together and you hardly ever got strangers, for people to actually be born that look identical to one of their ancestors due to the short supply of you know, genetic material to be shared. Hmm. Okay. So, 
I was actually going through this for a long time, trying to point out the similarities to the pattern of how they evolve. And the end conclusion that I found was they're identical. The way thought evolves over time and the way genetics evolve over time, the only difference is thought evolves on hyperspeed. It's essentially the faster version of genetic evolution. It's interesting. Is that, and, you know, kind of why we're so technologically advanced today, but yet still, uh, you know, humans killing, you know, are so frequently killing one another, you think? Or am I totally off on what um, you're saying? I don't know about the violent part. I'm actually more going off of the idea that what causes us to evolve one way follows the same pattern for another. Even plant life, after I discovered this, follows a similar pattern of how things evolve. Thanks for sharing There's your thoughts. pattern out there. Mm-hmm. And essentially, I've found out that you can find this guideline about stimulation and evolution over time, depending on how much stimulation it gets and how much time, what happens. And even the planet's rotation seems to be all bound up to the same pattern. Interesting. If you look at religious sects, a lot of them are developed over you have so many people and they only get so much data, so they evolve in a certain fashion. Positive information over the long term generally breeds more positive information. Negative information brings mental destruction, just like positive nutrients brings physical growth Mm -hmm. and negative nutrients brings death and destruction. Cool, man. Well, I'm glad you called to uh, to share that with us. I obviously haven't done the same level of uh, of research, so I feel crippled uh, yes. and uh, unable to really, uh, you know, effectively address what you've said. But I appreciate you sharing it with us tonight. Anything else you wanted to share? Uh, I'd actually like to ask you a question about Mr. Tackpans. Mr. Tackpans, yes. Uh, this for for those that don't know was an interview that we did a few weeks ago. Uh, he is an undiscovered YouTube phenomenon, uh, a man who has uh, apparently, I don't know if you would describe him as crazy or just really unusual in that he is on lithium. Uh, he's uh, definitely they possibly... They still prescribe lithium? Schizophrenic. He claims he's on lithium, yeah. Uh, possibly schizophrenia uh, he's suffering from, but he seems very happy uh, in his uh, in his life. Go ahead with your question. All right, well... You said previously before that one of the main reasons why you want people like that on the show is because they're humorous here. And I have a theory that I might be wrong that I've assumed about you, that part of the reason isn't just because they humor you. It's because even though these people may be insane and might not be, it's hard to know because it's, you can't follow it. They stimulate certain neuronic patterns in the brain that generally lay dormant. So it literally forces you to think differently for a period of time, regardless of whether it's nonsense or not. Well, right, because it all makes sense to Mr. Tackpans. 
And that's what's interesting mm-hmm. about somebody like him is that you can talk to him about anything you want and he'll have some sort of perspective on it that won't necessarily be in any way coherent to us. But to him, uh, I mean, he's he's explaining and expressing whatever his reality is, which is seemingly very, very different uh, from the rest of ours. And he's still cranking out the videos on his YouTube channel. So if you look <laughs> up uh, Mr. Tackpan's You'll be able to uh, to find him. Thank you for the call tonight. Uh, appreciate it. 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Take control of these airwaves. Coming up, teenagers and cannabis use. Opinions are apparently changing, and Julia will share the story. Of course, we'll take your calls about anything as well. It's Free Talk Live. You can listen to Free Talk Live on the radio, podcast, satellite, webcam, and our live streams. But did you know you can listen to Free Talk Live from any phone, anywhere? Add this number to your phone. 213-493-0308. It's a long-distance call, so make sure you're familiar with your phone's calling plan. The Listen Lines are airing the latest episode of Free Talk Live 24 hours a day, including our live shows. Call 213-493-0308. That's Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything you would like toll-free at 855-450-FREE, the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-855-450-3733. Join us online. Head over to freetalklive.com. Enjoy the features that we have there for you. Listening options are available to you. We've got live streams, broadband, narrowband, and even a mid-band flavor. We've got different size bit rates for different internet connection speeds. One of them will fit your connection. We guarantee it or your money back. Of course, we don't charge anything for the site. So go to freetalklive.com. Go to listen.freetalklive.com if you'd like quick access to those streams, plus a list of our over 100 great radio stations that air the show throughout various different times uh, during the week. There's also our satellite listening choices, including XM Satellite Radio, where we're heard all week long. In addition, we've got our free-to-air KU band channel up on Galaxy 19, available across all of North America. And uh, as well as we got a webcam and the listen lines that allow you to call from any phone that can dial long distance and tune in that way. Head over to listen.freetalklive.com to learn more. So let's shift gears from esoteric metaphysical uh, discussions about reality and move to, or the nature of reality, and move to observing it. Uh, what is it, Julia, that you have to share about teenagers and cannabis use? Okay, so this is a story out of New Jersey. It's, it's just a local New Jersey news site. Uh, title reads, Teens No Longer Believe Marijuana is Dangerous, Researchers Say. Teenagers' perceptions of the dangers of marijuana has fallen to the lowest level in more than 20 years, a new study says, promoting federal researchers to warn that already high use of the drug could increase as more states move to legalize it. Mm, which, of course, is not what uh, reality has shown us, talking about observing reality uh, in the Netherlands the usage of teenage marijuana use has gone down since legalization happened there. Well, it seems to be that whenever you are uptight and restrictive, the opposite results tend to happen. Especially with teenagers. Yes, definitely more so with teenagers. I'm specifically thinking of uh, the way that Americans are about sex and teenage Mm. sex and the way that... Um, you know, they are in Europe about sex. I believe it was the Netherlands that I watched a documentary and they were kind of comparing the sexual culture 
There are a lot more teen pregnancies in the U.S. There are virtually no teen pregnancies in the Netherlands in comparison. Hmm. Like if you look at the chart, it's ridiculous. And STDs is the same way. Mm -hmm. And they were talking to parents in the United States and they were talking to parents in the Netherlands. And the parents in the Netherlands, they were comfortable with their kid having sex in their house, their teenage kid having sex in their house. Oh, most parents in America would right. I don't know stand anybody. for that. I don't know anybody when I was growing up whose parents let them have a boy spend the night. Hmm. I'm sure that there are parents out there that are okay with it, but it's not common. Every friend I knew would freak out. Their parents would freak out about that. Right. So this was as though their daughter is not going to have. Well, sex. and that's what the parents in the Netherlands were saying. They were they were saying what they're going to do it anyway. Do we want them doing it in a car? Do we want them doing you know? They they know them because it's a girlfriend or something like that, and they've been to dinner and they've met them several times, mm-hmm. and and they were just really okay with it. And the kids over there were talking about condoms, and. Um, they were asking American people like, hey, if you met a guy and he had a condom in his wallet, how would you feel about that? And they said, oh, he'd be, you know, a scumbag and a a jerk. And about the girls, they said, well, she'd be a slut. Mm. And in the Netherlands, the the teenagers were saying, well, I wouldn't I wouldn't give that guy a second date if he didn't have a condom. That's not smart. And so. The reason I brought that up is just that that attitude of let's teach them how to be responsible. They're going to do it anyway. Right. That's it what people tends do. tends to yield better results. Right. Accepting uh, people for what they are, which are animals that like to screw, uh, is I think the smart thing to do. And, and helping them understand how to be as safe as possible in that realm well, is important. So not only animals that like to screw, but animals that like to get high. That's true. And animals... Of all kinds, like to get high yep. and have forever. So this isn't new. Take, for instance, uh, you know, squirrels or birds uh, eating fermented fruit in the forest, uh, you know, and getting drunk, or deer nibbling buds off marijuana plants. Well, plenty of examples of animals getting high. In there reality. are like tropical islands where where there are resorts and stuff, and the monkeys will come and take people's drinks. Yep, like, I've seen that video them. footage. It's, it's hilarious. Very funny, yeah. So they just come out and wait till the person's not looking and grab it. Yep. And so animals like to get high. Moral of the story. To continue this article. Is it wrong for them? For the animals? Right. Like, you know, ask this of one of the uh, people that would restrict, right? Because you're talking about this restrictive attitude of thou shalt not do and then fill in the blank. And, of course, people do it anyway. And then they have all these issues with doing it because they've been told that, you know, it's against God or it's wrong uh, to do these things. That They have all these struggles, you know, internally that aren't really necessary. Uh, does it apply to the monkey as well? I mean, is the monkey if it's if it's bad for a human to uh, you know to to drink or to you know imbibe some sort of substance that will alter one's state of consciousness, as some would suggest that it is? Is it also bad for an animal, or is that okay because the animal doesn't have the same level of consciousness that you and I do? Um, I don't know. I would say that if that people who are anti-drugs drinking, they would probably feel that that's not good for the animals either. I don't know. Yeah, but they wouldn't be well, able to say that it was wrong, right? Because the animal isn't conscious I think one of the reasons they like think that it's wrong is because they, they don't understand it. They assume that it's automatically bad and dangerous for everyone else around them and that monkeys wouldn't have that capability. 
like it's not damaging others around them. Right. I wasn't asking you, you know, as though you were one of those religious people, just sort of throwing the right. question out there for those who might be coming from uh, from that perspective. You know, what's what's ultimately wrong with it? Why is it wrong to alter one's uh, state of consciousness? Because that's the suggestion is that there's something, you know, against God that, you know, oh, God created you like this and you should not do anything to change that. But if that's true, Jesus drank wine. Didn't right. He? Jesus did. He turned water into wine. And I don't think that meant just grape juice. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, So continuing this article, the annual survey released Wednesday by the National Institute of Health found that only 41.7% of eighth graders believe that occasional marijuana use is harmful, while 66.9% regarded regarded it as dangerous when used. Oh, I'm sorry. Regarded as dangerous when used regularly. This is now. Okay. Both rates are the lowest since 1991 when the government first began tracking this age group. Mm Mm-hmm. Teens' perception of marijuana risks diminished even more as they got older. About twenty point six percent, and more experienced with it, right? Because you're talking about thirteen year olds. I don't. I know some people are going to say that drugs are more uh, permeating the young youth culture now than before. I don't know if I believe that. Still, I can't imagine too many teenagers at age thirteen are smoking cannabis or have much experience with it. No, I would say that back when I was in, a teenager, there were a few that had access to it. Mm-hmm. And today there are a few that have access to it, and most people. I didn't people get don't. access until I was sixteen. I was fifteen or fifteen, mm-hmm. but but I I wanted to do drugs from a very young age, like twelve. I knew I read a book about I was Go Ask Alice, which was a a diary of a drug user, and she talked about acid. And all my friends and I, we read this book, and we wanted to do acid. Interesting. Unfortunately. Acid's probably not so good for a 12-year-old, and I'm, I'm glad probably that not. I didn't yeah. get my hands on it. I, I couldn't have gotten it if I tried mm. at the time. But, um, but yeah, I, so I couldn't get my hands on it Where were all the 13. drug pushers that were you know, handing out Bart Simpson acid yeah. uh, to get the, you know, to get get the kids, kids hooked, hooked? The kids hooked who don't have money to buy it. Yeah. Um, so I knew that I wanted to get it, but even still, I could not purchase it. You know, I couldn't find it, and I didn't have money. Right. So... Um, continuing this article here, teens' perception of marijuana risks diminished even more as they got older. About 20.6% of 12th graders said that occasional use is harmful. 44% said that regular use is detrimental, which is the lowest since 1979. So it dropped from, what was it, to 20-something percent? Uh, 41 to 20. And And that was from age 13 to older teens? It just says older teens, 12th graders. Okay, so by 17, 18. And uh, 66 to 44. All right, so more on this here in moments. Your calls certainly welcome your experience, maybe as a teenager using cannabis or as an adult or as a parent and how you've handled this in the household. Certainly welcome to share it with us. It's Free Talk Live. This is Mark of Free Talk Live. We've been witnessing a meltdown of the economic engine that powers our country. With a printing press tethered to Washington bureaucrats and New York central bankers, how can we trust paper money? For years, I've been buying gold and silver from Midas Resources, and you should too. Call 877-357-9938 for a free book titled 10 Reasons to Own Gold, or go to gold.freetalklive.com. Again, 877-357-9938. 877-357-9938. This 
is Free Talk Live, and moments remain in this live Christmas Eve edition of the show. With you tonight, it's Ian. And Julia. Julia, you can get more of her on Puke and the Gang. That is her weekly show that she does on Sunday afternoons with Puke and the rest of the gang. You can go and hear more of that over at pukeandthegang.com. You guys did record yesterday. Yes. If you would like to hear some really embarrassing childhood stories, as well as way too personal information about me. Puking yeah. gang is the place to go. <laughs> yeah, we definitely don't get into that level of uh, personal information yes. for the most part on this uh, radio show. And you guys just started doing the show live, which could result in more interesting things happening, I guess. Because when yeah. you do it live, you don't get to take back uh, what you said or I edit don't, it out We later. don't take anything back. There's pretty much an editing rule that says that if you say it, it goes on. And... We are often drinking during the show. It's it's a pretty lighthearted, uh, anything goes kind of show, and I have definitely spilled some embarrassing information about myself. But Where is the picture of you wearing a onesie? It is. <laughs> is it on uh, Puke in the Gang's Facebook? It is. Okay, I don't see it. That's the problem. Oh, oh there it is. Okay, yep, you're, there you are. You just click photos, and then you're the second picture there. What so, is that? Well, it, it's a Sonic the Hedgehog onesie. Ah, okay. I see that And now. the reason why I am wearing the onesie is because we talked about adult babies, which is some <laughs> weird sexual thing where adults like to act like babies. It's not always sexual, though, right? Not always. Yeah. But it can be. Yeah. And it is largely, I think. And there's some diaper wearers and stuff. It's really weird. But so we were talking about that. Someone wrote in and said that they wanted to see me in a onesie. And define what a onesie is. A onesie is... Because I've heard it defined differently than this. A onesie is a pajamas that include the feet, right? So it's the feet and it's one piece and it zips up. Does it have a butt flap on the back? This one doesn't have a butt flap. Okay. But that's but, what... Okay. Because I had heard onesie was something else. I heard onesies were like just... Little kids' clothes that you would well, adults wear. Well, a onesie wear. is a little kid's like one piece thing with the footies on it. Mm-hmm. So this is an adult onesie. Yeah, I remember having something like that as a kid. Sure, I think we all did. So but you do not Andrew, look happy in this photo. Andrew gave me the onesie for <laughs> Christmas and made me put it on for a picture. You do love Sonic the Hedgehog, though. I do. I actually have a homemade costume that's better than yours. That. Is much better. Yeah. Yes, but it's not a onesie. So you can go to a Puke, in, Puke in the Gang's Facebook page to see Julia in her onesie there. Uh, 855-450-FREE, the SACL CAI toll-free line. I am not getting <laughs> elected for anything ever. <laughs> so we were talking about teenagers and cannabis use, and apparently the numbers, they are changing on how teenagers feel about the relative uh, safety or not of uh, cannabis. And you were sharing with us that uh, fewer teens now believe that uh, cannabis is dangerous than ever, ever before. Right, ever before, since they've started doing the studies in 1979. The government-sponsored study says teens' dwindling concerns about the dangers of marijuana despite the risks can signal future increases in use. We are increasingly concerned that regular or daily marijuana use is robbing many young people of their potential to achieve and excel in school or in other aspects of life. Who's saying this? Uh, Nora D. Valco, director of National Institute on Drug Ad- Ad- uh-huh. Abuse, which I'm sure is some sort of government-funded yep. or sponsored anti-drug yep. campaign. Um, NIDA. Mm-hmm. 
She cited recently, she cited recently published research showing that people who use marijuana heavily before age 18 had impaired mental abilities even after they quit using the drug. Now, I would like to see that research because I have seen a lot of research that says otherwise. That heavy marijuana use before age 18 doesn't uh, cause problems? I mean, I'm not willing to say that marijuana is harmless. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true. Um, I think that the effects, the long-term effects are pretty mild. And I would I th- also be interested in seeing how much heavy marijuana use is. What is, right. what is considered heavy marijuana use? I mean, if you're talking about somebody who is, I would consider heavy marijuana use multiple times per day. Yeah, I would Every agree. single day, multiple times I would per say, day. Uh, they would consider it to be, if you did it a couple times a week, I would bet. To be heavy? I would think so. I would think I would think that an organization like this would say that um, that would be like super duper over the top heavy. Who mm-hmm. does that? And that hmm. um, like a See, couple times a week would be something that would be considered heavy use to most people. I wonder about that. That's a really good, that's just my speculation. That's the most important question when really you know trying to say something about this because I could see that you know what she said was that in. Heavy users, they had seen some level of what was the, the exact phrase that you know they weren't impaired mental abilities. Impaired mental abilities. Well, you, I, I know that you know people like this. I know people that are they, they, we call them burnouts, and mm-hmm. you're not really sure what's wrong with them. It's not like they're stupid, but they're just kind of slow, and it's like all they do is smoke pot all day. They're, they're yeah. the the kind of stoners that movies make fun of. Now, is it the marijuana that caused that? I can't tell that but it's sort of what i've always attributed to that yeah it's hard to say you know somebody that is uh, yeah i've known people who have been daily marijuana users who are very productive individuals it seems to vary and i wonder where they found the you know the test subjects for this particular study how did they come across those uh people and someone who would be considered a heavy marijuana user maybe that maybe a person using marijuana heavily is attempting to compensate for some kind of you know mental deficiency maybe they were abused and and they're you know they're addicted to something and they marijuana is the drug of, of choice and maybe they're just mentally damaged in some way just to begin with which is why they're using the drug so much i mean who knows what their individual stories are but there are millions of marijuana users in this country and most of them are responsible, productive individuals. Well, I would say that there was once a time in my life where I was probably a heavy marijuana user. And I don't I mean, obviously, there's no way to tell how awesome I could have been had mm-hmm. I never picked up a joint. But I feel like I'm slightly smarter than average. You know, I'm certainly not a genius, but I never was. Barack so. Obama was a heavy marijuana user. When he was in high school, according to uh, some books that have been written that had really? talked to his high school buddies, he was basically in a group of young men in late high school and in college where they were smoking up as often as possible. And he was a I mean, the guy's a total hypocrite. I mean, he used marijuana probably more than the average uh, person that has used marijuana as a high schooler. Well, and now he's the president of the United for States. You, he has made mistakes so you don't have to. Meaning that he's going to right. enforce the law on everybody exactly. else. Wonder what had. Wonder what would happen if uh, his daughters got caught with some marijuana. 
It would probably not be made public if he could. Yeah, I'm, I'm kidding. Could. I don't have to wonder. I know exactly what would happen <laughs> because I've seen what happened to uh, Jeb Bush's daughter in Florida when she got caught with uh, crack cocaine. They sent her to a treatment center and, uh, and demanded that people not talk to them about this issue because it was a personal family matter. And then when she tried to escape the uh, the center that she was committed to and was you know basically caught smuggling crack or something like that into the center, she got a slap on the hand. Yeah, that's pretty common. Yeah. So we don't really have much more time on this article. Uh, This lady continues, marijuana use that begins in adolescence increases the risk that they will become addicted to the drug. Now, psychological drug addiction is an interesting topic because marijuana is not physically addicting in any way. And I'm not so sure. Like To me, that's just a matter of habit and willpower, right? So Mm -hmm. I can understand I used to smoke pot daily for 10 years. I smoked pot daily because I liked it. But at some point in time, I stopped liking it, and I just stopped. And I didn't... Had you been addicted, you wouldn't have been able to. Well, if I was going to get addicted, I would have been addicted. Like heroin, that's a physical addiction. If you try to stop using heroin, you get sick. Mm-hmm. You need the drug to function, so it's not so easy to come off. Some but people say they have trouble sleeping after quitting marijuana. I suppose it's possible. I've never noticed it myself. I mean, I had, uh, when I was, I think, like 18 or 19, uh, you know, relatively new to smoking marijuana, I had still, you know, I'd still heard all the, the drug stories, the war, drug war stories, the scare stories. Like this woman is basically echoing scare tactics here in this in this article. Yeah. And I had always wondered, you know, well, is it true? Can I quit this? Yeah. And so I actually challenged myself to see if I could. And I could. And I did. Well, and I, I quit. quit and it was fine. There's right. no problems. So I won't say that this is not addictive for some people, but it's psychologically addictive, not physically addictive and they are two different things and one of them i think is easier to overcome well the funny thing about this story is that she's sounds like she's grasping at straws here trying desperately to scare parents and or teenagers back into not uh smoking pot or being afraid of uh of cannabis but they're pushing against reality and reality is that it is one of the safest drugs out right. there that if it's you're, better than K2 right if your teenager is going to be using some sort of drug better to have them using cannabis which has been used or for doing thousands inhalants. right doing they've been using it for thousands of years human beings have been using it forever whereas K2 and some of these other products they're brand new to the market who knows what's in them or what kind of an effect they could have on your teenager's developing brain how about yeah. that We're out of time for tonight, but we will return tomorrow night for the live Christmas Day edition. We'll take your calls about anything at that time. In the meantime, join us online at freetalklive.com. Why did you move to the Shire? I moved here to the Shire because there's other people around who take liberty just as seriously as I do. I moved to the Shire because I saw videos of people challenging authority and thought that I could get support myself. It called to me, like, do this right now. I wanted to be around people like me who got it. And once I got here, I knew there was nowhere else that I wanted to be. Immigrating to the Shire was easy. I was instantly plugged into a community of individuals who also care about peace, liberty, and justice and are willing to do something about it. The people here are awesome, loving, and positive. It was for the adventure and for the feeling of something important is happening here. And I just wanted to come to sort of be part of that. Visit ShireSociety.com to read and sign the Shire Society Declaration and learn the reasons why, if you love liberty, you should immigrate to the Shire. Plus, add yourself to the Shire map at ShireSociety.com. That's ShireSociety.com.